0: I'm David Katniss, and this is Too Close to Call. Welcome back. Since I've been single most of my adult life, my most significant relationships have been friendships. Friendship is a topic I am fascinated by. And my guest today, Dr. Marissa Franco, is a psychologist and author of the new book, Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends And as I was reading the book, I was really struck by two graphs that I just want to read to kick us off the conversation that really that really stuck with me. Right in your first few pages, you write platonic love lies at the lowest rung of the hierarchy. Our culture, our culture uh, places on love. Um. But I've learned it's a devastating loss to us if we dispose of it there. And then later on, you write about how um, friendship is cast as a lesser relationship. And I I think you categorize it as a buffer uh, in between purgatory when when you're trying to figure out you're between family and that most important relationship that we all think is... um, you know, that that ultimate partner. Why do you why do you say why do you argue that platonic love lies at the lowest rung?
1: Yeah, well, you know, my motivation to write the book was going through a breakup, starting a wellness group with my friends where we we um, meditated, we cooked, we did yoga. And realizing that, oh, I'm suffering in this breakup so hard because of how I perceive love. I, I perceive it that romantic love is the only love that makes me worthy. It's the only love that counts. And if I don't have that love in my life, I have no love in my life. And I look around at my friends and I'm like, well, why doesn't this count? And I felt like my experience was reflected in our larger culture, and our larger society, right? Like a lot of us have received this implicit or explicit or even policy uh, related realities that really put friendship on the lowest rung of the hierarchy we place on love, like movies, songs, um, you know, there's a formal ceremony to establish a connection to someone you're married to, and they get certain rights like health insurance and tax breaks right that we don't, in our society, let people give to people that are just friends. So there's all these ways that our culture, you know, and and even the way we talk about it, right. You're just friends if you're not in a relationship together Um, or you need someone to complete you suggesting that when you find this one person, you don't need anyone else anymore. So it's also just like embedded in our language. It's really, really everywhere. And I think that this, this hierarchy that we place on love harms everybody, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, right. Like. Nobody should depend on one person to get all of their needs met. And it's a recipe for loneliness.
0: So you actually write, I want to get this quote right. Friendship is cast as a lesser relationship, a buffer to soften the purgatory between leaving our family and finding a new one. You also have some history in the book that the ancient Greeks found friendship superior to romance so how did we get from ancient greeks believing that to where we are now where you know you, you come back to this theme throughout that we usually we place partners above everything and friendship comes at the bottom we even put work other things everything comes before friends we, we don't have a problem with canceling on friends we don't have a problem with letting friends down how did how did we come that far
1: Yeah, it's a really fascinating history um, because it wasn't always this way. And in fact, even fairly recently, it wasn't this way. Um, You know, in the early 1800s and before, friendship was very much romantic. And what I mean by that is not sexual. People weren't having sex with friends because by definition, friendship is not sexual, but they were holding hands with friends, cuddling with friends, sharing beds with friends writing love letters to friends. And Frederick Douglass even said, like, my friends are really what shook my decision to leave the plantation most of all. So that was really normal. What changed is, you know, at that time when people were so intimate with their friends, part of it was that the assumption was that you can't deeply connect to someone if they don't share your gender. So you're going to marry this person, right? And they're going to give you resources and it's going to be an honor to combine names with them. But don't expect that deep intimacy because only if you're in the same gender, can you experience that deep intimacy Um, at that time too, homophobia, as we understand it today, was different. You were stigmatized for having sex. I'm sorry, there's like a drilling going on. Can you hear that?
0: I can't. Okay, Okay. it's on your side.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh no, I can't hear it, we're good. Yeah, so homophobia was different than how we understand it now. People were stigmatized for having sex with someone of the same sex, but not for engaging in a constellation of behaviors that could suggest deep intimacy between, so so then basically what happened was in 1867, Sigmund Freud, Richard von Kraft Ebbing, two psychiatrists, they started to argue that If you have sex with someone of the same sex, you have an entire sexual orientation that is that is off that something's wrong with you and you ha- and you've developed this whole entire identity that has led you to want to have sex with someone of the same sex so before then it, there was no such thing as sexual orientation after then now it's like oh all these different behaviors could suggest this disordered sexual orientation so there's no more holding hands with your friends there's no more sharing beds there's no more sharing deep intimacy with your friends right you know there's no more writing those love letters to your friends even friends used to go on honeymoons together Because any of that could suggest that you have this disordered sexual orientation. And so in the research, this phenomenon is called homohysteria, the fear of being perceived as gay. Mm -hmm. And it it particularly harms men's friendships where we want intimacy and connection, but sometimes we get afraid that, oh, if it's too intimate, then it's gay. Exactly. So we can't (laughs) do all the things that make us connect with friends. Like we're not free in that way.
0: Yeah. You talk about how men need an activity as a buffer to kind of open up. They got to go play basketball or they got to hunt or they have to fish. Like women will go to a coffee shop and just catch up, but men don't really do that. And I think that's what based into just gender stereotypes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This Atlantic article called it the third object. Like men need a third object that will sort of block them from having to, to get too intimate. But you know, the reality is that Men need intimacy just like women do. And men will try to practice that intimacy within the context of their romantic relationship, suggesting that they still really want it. And when they have they have the opportunity or they have that safety, they are being really intimate. They are being really vulnerable. The difference that I see between men and women, for women, our script for friendship overlaps with our script for our spouse. We will be just as loving towards our friends. I love you so much. You're my soulmate. There could right. be- intimacy there's a lot of vulnerability and for men what we tend to see and obviously general these are generalizations there are exceptions that the script for friendship really differs from the script for a spousal relationship you're just and again this is a heterosexual people too another caveat but it's sort of like I'm with my friends to just hang out and do fun activities together
0: Right, with the boys. We're just out slinging beers with the boys.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then with my spouse, I'm going to be vulnerable and tell them how much I love them and experience touch with them. And so that, I think, is part of the reason why we see men's friendships are half as vulnerable as women's, and they share half as much affection as women do and are more likely to have no friends.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think you address homosexuals. Challenges with friends in the book, right? There's not as much research on gay men versus straight men. I know you talk about straight men and the male friendship crisis because of sort of that intimacy barrier. Is there not as much research on if gay men have as much trouble making long lasting, you know, significant friendships?
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like in the literature on like gay friendships, there is this, you know, chosen family that. What, when, what I tend to see happen more generally, right, is I think sometimes we assume if we don't have a romantic partner, we're disconnected. But what we see instead is that people fill this vacuum of connection with other types of relationships. So for gay folks, right, you know, they run the risk of being excluded from their family, right, because of their sexual orientation. And what that means is they can fill that vacuum. You don't, do you hear the beep? <laughs> What is wrong with the street? Yeah. I
0: heard a little bit, but that's fine.
1: So they can fill this vacuum that they might not get from their family with their friends. And that's why we have the popularized concept of like chosen family from queer communities, right? Mm -hmm. And so there can be a certain intimacy that happens if you have been forced to shed these family relationships, that you look for that same degree of intimacy through your friendships. And also, I think some gay men. Do report experiencing homosteria still to some degree. Like I'm afraid that, of how this is going to come off with your friends, but I think to a lesser degree, right? That there yeah. is maybe this. Um, we can be more vulnerable with each other, for example, because well, if people perceive us as gay, we are gay. <laughs> right, <laughs> right.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I guess there's always that risk as a as a gay man if you have straight friends and you encourage being vulnerable sort of being honest, sharing your feelings, that if you get too vulnerable, straight men may think you're gonna hit on them or you're moving from platonic to sexual.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, it's true.
0: So I wanna talk a little bit about how people change when you you can have someone that's a good friend and then gets married. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this a a lot in my life and, you know, you again, you, you address this a paragraph in your book talking about how, you know, partners, some partners, and I think we all know them, rely on their significant other to become their best friend. And this is going to sound odd, but sometimes weddings are a little sad to me because I see what happens after the wedding is you lose touch with that friend. You don't you don't hang out as much and frankly some of it makes total sense they're usually on a path to having children they're gonna spend more time with that person um, but I wonder what do you think of couples and partners who totally embed with each other once they're married or once they're a couple and how that affects friendships, what does that mean for their relationship going forward?
1: Yeah, well, first, I'll say that, you know, I think all of us have been impacted by this very um, narrow view of relationships that we find this person, right? And they're who we invest in. And then we kind of de-invest from all of our other relationships, right? And um, that's really harmful for a marriage, to be honest. I mean, from the research, the research finds that, When you get into conflict with your spouse, it disrupts your cortisol release, but not if you have quality connection outside the marriage. That if I make a friend, not only am I less depressed, but my spouse is less depressed. That having quality connection outside of the marriage increases my quality of life overall. That turning to different people to help me deal with different emotions also increases my well-being. And so... What this research kind of suggests, and then what what it also says is that people that just depend on one partner, the natural ebbs and flows of that relationship, they're so much more devastated by the ebbs than people that have quality connection outside of that relationship. Right. So I think we sometimes see like the marriage and the friends as antagonistic when we should see them as synergistic. Like you having friends helps you be a better spouse to me. Me having friends helps me be a better spouse to you, right? But the reality is that even though, you know, this is what the science tells us, not everybody sees it that way. And for many people, their script is, we're gonna get married and get very insular, right? And I just talked with a friend about this recently and she was like, yeah, I think I was unhappy in my marriage because I thought it was the only person I could hang out with. And now I realize it's not, and I'm hanging out with more people and I'm feeling better. Um, but yeah, for those people and not all of us have the script, right? There's some people who get married and they still very much invest in their friendships, but some people do have that script where they're like, now it's time for me to not hang out with my friends as much and, and, you know, hang out with my spouse only. And obviously, you know, you have more time constraints because now there's another person that takes your time. It's kind of natural that you won't have as much time to spend, but some of us kind of still choose to actively invest in friendships and some of us don't. And obviously, um, that can can cause some disconnect. Like to me it's like I don't know. I guess it's like wild to me that we've normalized I've been your best friend for like 15 years. We've been the first person to go to each other and now you should just accept that I'm not going to invest in this relationship anymore because I got like that, that that's normal. It's kind of wild to me to be honest. <laughs>
0: yeah. It is to me too. And when people say they're marrying their best friend, isn't that bullshit or just a problem?
1: I so I don't see it as a problem to marry your best friend. In fact, I think that's good. It's actually related to better mental health and well-being when you marry your best friend, better sex, a relationship that lasts longer, which is so interesting, right? Because we think friendship is less than romance. But then what makes romance so good is when we're we feel like we're close friends.
0: Connection. Yeah.